people, Matthew chapter 10 tonight, would you please? Matthew chapter 10. Boy, what a wonderful service we've already had together tonight, and we've already enjoyed the ministry of uh, truth from the singing of that truth and having the ministry of, of uh, truths proclaimed to us by choir and special groups, and I've enjoyed every single thing, and I've even enjoyed the announcement. So you guys uh, have, a, have another service, another message even in the announcement time, and you could give an invitation at the end of some of the, of the announcements. I, I, uh, I, I, I will see Joshua and that group of, uh, of uh, gathering people around him uh, in a new light from now on whenever I read that text about attacking the wall. That's great. Glad you're here, and I'm honored to be here with you for these days, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to be with Baptist College of Ministry as well as the, uh, the church during these next three nights. Now, folks, I realize it's already been addressed two or three times. Can I just sort of underscore it and highlight it as best I can? There's no question. This preacher totally gets it how busy many of you are. I know your schedule is packed and jammed, and you've got... All kinds of things. Now tomorrow, you may have tomorrow off. In fact, how many of you do not have to work tomorrow? You do not work tomorrow. Okay, therefore, you're going to sleep till noon, right? You better not do that. Uh, get up and, and, uh, and get going, and you've got a good church picnic to enjoy. And then I hope that you'll plan to be with us tomorrow night, and then, and then Tuesday night and Wednesday night. Look, look, if you're not careful, you'll start thinking about everything that you've got to do uh, the next three nights, and you'll start thinking, ah, boy, I just don't think I can, ah, you know, I got I to gotta rearrange the socks in my sock drawer. It's, a, it's just a mess. And, okay, fix it. Take 30 seconds and fix that, and then come to the service tomorrow night, would you? By the way, the humor doesn't get any better than what you're getting right now, all right? <laughs> so you're going to have to endure this for a few nights. This is it. It's all I got, all right? So come be with us tomorrow night. You say, I got a job. I work at night. Ah, you can get another job. Just quit. And <laughs> all right, you got a job. You can't do anything about that. You better hang on to that job. But do what you can to get here, would you? Take it one service at a time. Now, you're here on Sunday evening. Thank you for doing that. I would assume the vast majority of you come on Sunday night normally. If there's anybody who's not normally on a Sunday night here, but you're here tonight, thank you for coming. Greatly appreciate all of you being here. Let's all do it again tomorrow night. How about it? Let's just do it. Don't worry about, oh boy, how am I going to get everything done? Just, just, just give me tomorrow night. Give the Lord tomorrow night. And then when you come tomorrow night, I'll tell you how important Tuesday night is, all right? It's always that next service is the most important service of all. I'm glad you're here, but don't miss tomorrow night. We'll look forward to seeing you here. And I'm, I look forward to making some new friends and getting reacquainted with some of you. In my, in my travels, I've privileged a lot of times in the summer months to uh, preach to teenagers at various teen camps across our nation. I'm grateful for that very, very much. And occasionally I run across a, a BCM student who's on staff and who's a counselor or working somewhere. It's always a thrill to see their servant's heartbeat and their passion for the Lord, and their burden uh, to be a blessing, and their passion to see people come to know the Lord as Savior. So I'm grateful for the heartbeat, grateful for the focus, grateful for the training that young people are getting here at BCM. And I look forward to making some new friends in the, in the school here while we're here for the next three days. But I hope that as this school year gets started, those of you who are Falls members, don't take for granted what God's doing in this place. God is doing something miraculously, and uh, I know that you've seen his hand of blessing in recent months, and I, I, I thrill with what I hear 
And sometimes I get mailings, things in the mail sent out and hear about a miracle bus and other things that are going on here in this place. I rejoice with you. And as has been stated, there are even greater things the Lord wants to do in the days to come. So stay focused on living for Him. Hey, I, I had already sensed, I guess it was last night, I, I don't know, as I began to pray for today, I already sensed a kind of a nudge of the Spirit of the Lord about what we need to look at tonight through the Scriptures. And this is just going to be foundational for the rest of our time. Little did I know what the theme of the coming ministry year was going to be as it was announced here. I think it was expressed to me on a phone call, but other than that, I really didn't know what was going to happen. And as I listened to this morning's message, I just sensed that once again, the Lord gave uh, His his firm stamp of guidance for us to look at this passage together tonight. At the beginning of chapter 10 of the book of Matthew, you'll notice where Jesus calls his disciples. Now, come on. All of our life, we've heard about the disciples. If you're like me, you've grown up in Bible preaching churches like yours and and maybe some of you are old enough to remember the, you know, the children's church and vacation Bible schools and, 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 and the flannel graph board. I mean, do you know what I'm talking about? Have I outdated myself the flannel graph board? How many can I get a witness? All right, all right, all right, here we go. I saw pictures of the disciples on the flannel graph board. There they were with their robes, with their beards. Of course, everybody had beards, men, women, children. All of them had beards <laughs> on the flannel graph board. And the truth is, I can remember just looking at them and watching them and, you know, and thinking about, you know, there's Peter, there's John, there's Andrew, and there's Thomas. And uh, I was just looking at them. You know, you just, you just sort of take it for granted. Let me tell you something. This was a high calling that Jesus was issuing to a handful of men. If you and I could get in some kind of a time machine and travel back into Bible days... What Jesus was doing with this handful of men was, was nothing unusual. It was happening all over. This was, this was the classroom of that day. There were rabbis. There were, there were religious teachers that were walking about. And they had their class with them, their disciples. And they would sit still. They'd sit down on the side of the road. They'd sit under some shade of a big tree or something. And, and this Religious teacher would take teachings from the Old Testament and squeeze things out of it that most of the time wasn't really there. And they would incorporate all kinds of perversion of truth and, and they had their listeners as they were expressing uh, their, their belief system. And then here came Jesus. Jesus said, I've come to fulfill the Old Testament law. And people said, you know, there's nobody that ever spoke like this man. And masses of crowds would leave these little groups of teaching uh, centers with the, all the religious teachers and they'd begin to follow Jesus and, and they'd, they'd listen to him. Then they got fascinated by not just what he said, but what he did. But Jesus handpicked some disciples and said, I want you to be with me. And every once in a while as you read through the Gospels, you'll find that Jesus would just kind of clean house. And he'd say, all of you who who think that you're my followers, let me tell you what's expected of you. Let me, let me just draw the line in the sand and let you know something, that some of you enjoy following me because of what you receive. But you don't comprehend what it is you're supposed to be. 
And the truth is, I'm convinced that we've got a lot of people that attend church these days. We have very few disciples. We have people who walk aisles, but we rarely carry a cross. We make decisions, but we're not disciples. And I'm gonna, this is not an exhaustive list, but I want you to see the instruction. Jesus is teaching his disciples, beginning in verse 24. He tells these followers what's in this matter of being his follower. He simply says in verse 24, The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and the servant as his Lord. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many. Sparrows, Heavenly Father, would you please help me in these moments together with these, my friends, to be able to help all of us to just go back to school with you, Lord Jesus, and be reminded of what it really means to be your follower. And help us to comprehend if that's what we're doing or not. Help us to take spiritual inventory and recognize what it is you're calling us to do and to be. And I pray that we will sit with rapt attention before you, Lord Jesus, and hear from you today. Do your wonderful work in our hearts, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm convinced as I can be that there are many Christians who think that they are disciples of Christ, when in truth, they're not. They're going in the wrong direction. You know this, the term disciple means follower. It includes learner, student, pupil, to be a follower. The truth is a lot of times we think that we're, we're in lockstep with the Lord Jesus and there are times in which we just need to back up and say, no, no wait a minute, have I, gotten, have I gotten distracted? Am I drifting? Am I a little off course here? Am I really following in the right direction? I was in the eighth grade. Uh, Brother Jim mentioned uh, junior hires. Do you remember eighth grade? I have a friend who calls that crowd pre-people. Uh, when I was in the eighth grade, I, I can remember, I played for a little football team. We played, you know, just a bunch of little eighth grade guys out there playing against a bunch of other eighth grade players from other schools and so forth. I watched a guy on our football team literally leave the sideline and go running out into the field. Now, our football uniforms were totally black with gold trimming, all right? Black jerseys with gold trim, black pants with gold trim, black helmet with a gold trim. We were playing against a team, their complete uniform was totally white with some black trim. It's pretty easy to know what team you play for. 
unless you're in the eighth grade and you're this one kid. I've never seen this happen before my whole life. He took off running. We were on defense. Other teams on offense, they're, they're over there calling a play. They're in a huddle calling a play. And this kid goes out onto the field. He's supposed to go to a linebacker position. He takes off running. And we stood, there, we stood there and we watched him run all the way on the field to the other team's huddle. He ran all they're over there calling a play. He ran over there and he, and he, I mean, he bent down. He looked at their faces. And I guess if he had a thought at all, I'm not real certain of that, but if he had a thought at all, he must have thought, uh, I don't know these people, you know? <laughs> Who are these? And all of a sudden, he jumps out of the huddle and he goes running over to, to our team huddle. You know, and the referee was pulling the flag because you don't go over to the other team's huddle and hear what they're doing. How do you explain to a football referee, sir, sir, yes, sir, he, he may have heard what they're going to do. It won't make any difference. <laughs> He's not really with us, you know. I mean, this boy, he thought he was going in the right direction, but he wasn't. He didn't have a clue. I was in a hotel one time. And uh, I, I, I was uh, unloading our truck and getting everything into, our, into the room there and so forth. And I went out and got one last load. I came up uh, to the elevator to, to go up to my room up on the, the uh, uh, third floor. And there was a man standing there also waiting for the elevator. And he said, hello there. You ever met somebody that's never met a stranger in their life? This guy had never met a stranger in his life. And I mean, he was, he started motor mouth. And I basically said, yeah, oh, yeah, uh-huh, you're old, that's good. Uh, you know, I didn't really say anything. I just listened to him, you know. And the, the doors open, we got on the elevator. We had a pleasant talk. I mean, this man was very friendly, very warm, and very outgoing, gregarious as can be. And we had an enjoyable talk. And I looked over at the, uh, uh, the numbers, and, and I pushed the number three for my floor. And I said, what floor do you need? He said, I'm on the fourth floor. I said, all right. So I pushed number four. And so we, we just kept on talking, got all the way up to the third floor. The doors open. And so I just simply said, well, sir, you, you have a good stay in this city. He said, okay, you too. And I stepped out of the elevator, and so did he. And I thought, no, no, I, I thought he said fourth floor. I know he did. And I started walking down the hall, and he's just walking right behind me, you know, all the way. And I'm, I started looking for my wallet, you know. I'm thinking, you know, why is he following me? And he just kept talking. And I looked over my shoulder. I said, yeah, yeah, okay, you know, and so forth. I finally got to my room, and I was reaching for my little hotel card key. And he stopped right next door, and he said, he said, look at this. We're right next door. And I'm thinking, he told me the fourth floor. What is going on? He took his card key, and I didn't get in a hurry because I wanted to see what was happening. He stuck his card key in there and hit the handle, and it wouldn't open. He, he got so frustrated. He goes, what is wrong? I said, sir, this isn't the fourth floor. He goes, oh, yeah, and he takes off running. That's the last I saw him. Now, he just got so caught up with talking to me, he just lost track of where he was. Have you spiritually? Let me tell you something. You want to live life to the max. You want to have a life that is full. I mean fulfilled and filled full. You want to live life in a classic way. You want to live a life that is rewarded. Then become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Recognize what's involved with being genuinely a student, a learner, a follower who's all in with Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus called for. He called for people to be all in. Can I tell you, there's an organization that's all over this world tonight. We would call them, we would call them terrorists. And there's all kinds of different names, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, 
and other names you could use for those various groups. You know what they're calling for? Disciples. They call for people to be all in. They want them, they want them to give their children to their organization so they can train them to hate and to give their life as suicide bombers. They're looking for disciples all in. Ball teams have their fans that are fanatics who are all in. Come on, I'm in Wisconsin. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, you know, I mean, you're all in. You've seen these people paint their face the color of their favorite teams on game day. It's incredible. They'll, they'll, they'll go all over the country and spend thousands of dollars to watch their favorite team play. Incredible. Politicians are looking for disciples. They want people to be all in with their stance, their position, stand on street corners and hand out uh, flyers and pr promote their agenda. They're looking, they're looking for followers, disciples who are all in. Rock. Uh, I use the term musicians loosely. Rock stars have their groupies, their followers who will travel with them all over the globe hoping, just hoping that someday I might get to meet this guy who's up there screaming and making noise and playing some wild instrument. He, you know, they're, 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 they're disciples. They're all in. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Or are you just a church member? Are you a disciple or are you just coming to college? Are you a disciple or are you a, a someone who, who's on their way to heaven but you're not really all in? Can we just take a look at this, this list? There are others. Let's refresh our memory of what, what it really means to be a disciple. Look at verse 24 again. Jesus said, the disciple is not above his master. Notice the wording. He's not above his master, nor is the servant above his Lord. All right, couple of word explanations here. The word master here is the meaning, it's not, it, it's not the idea of a master who's got a whip and he's whipping his servant into submission. That, the word master here is master teacher. So he's saying here the student, the follower, the disciple is not above his master teacher. So if he's not above him, where is he? He is below him. He is under him. Then he says, nor is the servant above his Lord. Now look, none of us have any patience or the stomach for slavery. I get it. But you've got to understand the culture within which Jesus was living and speaking. There were people who had, I would just use the term right now, employees who worked for them. And you could say they owned them in some sense of the word. And he says, the servant is not above his Lord, the man that he works for. The employee is not above his employer, which means he is under him. So what does it mean to be really all in as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, number one, it means that you are submissive. There is a spirit of submissiveness. And notice the two analogies he gives here is the student who's under his master teacher, the servant who is under his, his employer, the employee that's under, the man who owns him. So what does that mean? It means it's the submission of your mind, the student with the teacher. He's under him and learning of him. He's not only submissive in his mind, he is secondly submissive in his will. He says there that I, am, I, am, I belong to him. He is my master. And whatever he says, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to obey him. I submit my mind. I submit my will. I submit my listening ear. I submit my obedient body. I'm his. I don't own myself. I'm all in with him. I belong to him. 
I submit my attention. I listen to his words. I don't just read words. I'm listening to his voice. I am not just putting in time to take time to say I've had my daily devotions. I am speaking and listening to my master teacher. I am leaning into him to not just read words, but to hear him speak to me. Now, I get it. There may be some dear friends in this building tonight. You've just recently come to know Jesus Christ. Thank the Lord for you. Thank the Lord. Newborn believers ought to be in every church family. There ought to be the sound of newborn believers all the time being taught discipleship principles. Thank the Lord for you. And some of you may be struggling with saying, oh, okay, okay, I need to schedule time uh, to, to, to read the Word of God. I need to understand what it's saying to me. And I get it. Sometimes it may be difficult for you at various ages to schedule your life around. I get it, but there's a lot of us in this room. There's zero excuse when it comes to the matter of saying, dear Lord, I belong to you. And I'm all in. And I'm not just going to come to church and listen to someone expound some scripture. I'm coming to hear you. I'm coming to the word of God on a daily basis that I can cling to something. And I can, I'm, I'm, in fact, I'm just old-fashioned hungry to hear you speak to me. I'm leaning into the word of God to hear what you've got for me. I don't want to walk away and be the same because I've been in the presence of the master teacher. I'm in his presence to say he speaks to me. And I'm going to hear what he has to say. When I was a boy, my mom used to say, you know, uh, every kid, every boy knows this. I don't know about girls, but a guy could be sitting there eating potato chips and the mother would be saying, my mom would say, what are you, what are you doing? I say, eating chips, mom. What do you mean? Well, we're about to eat supper. When? In about an hour. Oh, I'll be fine. You know, I, I, I'll be hungry in an hour. And every boy, and you heard what your, you heard it, I heard it. Your mother said the same thing. You're going to spoil your appetite. I didn't have a clue what that meant because I never had a problem with it. But let me tell you something. We have gotten, we, we spoil our scriptural appetite for the word of God with all the other things we're taking in on a daily basis. We got our time for our emails and we got our time to check the news online and we got our time to check social media and we got our time to do everything else under the sun that are involved in spoiling our appetite to just be still and hear him speak to me and to recognize he just gave me something that I can cling to the rest of my day. James got it. James said to his, his readers, he said, don't just be a hearer, be a doer of the word of God. He says, for blessed is the one who comes to the word of God, who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. The idea there is he's looking diligently into the mirror of God's word. It's like the difference between a teenage boy and a teenage girl. Teenage boy goes, he gets up in the morning, he's got one thing in mind. Here we go again, food, you know. He goes straight to the kitchen. He's looking for Cap'n Crunch, a stack of pancakes, and uh, half, uh, half of a hog, and, and you know, I mean, he, I mean, he's hungry. And he goes to the bathroom, he's got to get ready for school, and he looks at himself, and he goes, yeah, that's good. And he goes, you know, just time takes a glance. Now, a girl, man, she gets up in the morning, first thing she thinks of is, damage control you know I I got things to do and she she goes into the bathroom and ah and she's boy I mean she closes the door and and things get turned on and I mean things get revved up inside there and she 
She's getting herself fixed. The Bible says, blessed is the one who continues in the mirror of God's word and says, there's something here for me to learn. I'm going, to, I'm going to lock in. There are blemishes to take care of. There are kinks to be combed out. There are things that God's given me that I need to hear. What is a disciple? He's someone who's all in in submissiveness. Would that be a testimony of how you approach the word of God and the will of God? I'm all in. From head to feet, I'm locked in. My mother used to say to me, son, you have got to learn how to swim. You've got to. I am scared to death you're going to drown. My mother, boy, she scared me to death of water. I mean, it just, just, just caused me to be so fearful. You have got to learn how to swim. You're going to drown. You're going to die. You know, this little boy, <laughs> okay. She shared her concern one day with her boss at work, and he said, Mrs. Gleiser, let me, let me have Morris. He said, I've taught lots of kids how to swim. I can teach him. She said, would you? She, he said, sure. So he took me out threw me in the water. No, he, he took me in the water and, and we got there and he taught me all kinds of things and I learned some things about holding my breath and movement of my arms and the movement of my feet and I learned after a couple of lessons how to swim. I'm not a good swimmer, but I learned how to swim through those lessons. I overheard him talking to my mother later on. He said, now Mrs. Gleiser, I have taught a lot of children how to swim, but I have never, I have never seen a child so intent on learning every detail. I didn't say anything to him that he wasn't just locked in on. He said to her, I don't even think he blinked. He was afraid he was going to miss something if he blinked. Well, I'm in the other room and I heard that. I said, well, duh. It's a matter of life or death, man. I mean, my, my mother has gotten me so afraid of water, I'm afraid that if I miss something, I could drown, you know. When you come to the Word of God, don't even blink. God, you got something for me. I'm hungry. Number one, a disciple is submissive. Would you look at verse 25 with me? Jesus went on to say, it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. Let me just stop right there. I know I emphasize the word as because that's the word I want you to lock in on. A disciple Jesus said, it's almost like Jesus said, okay, let me, let me just clarify. Let me just tell you the bottom line. It is enough. Bottom line, it is enough that a true servant of mine, a student of mine, that he be as his master teacher. And is it, it is enough that the servant be as his Lord. The word as there is the idea of being a copy. He is to be not just a learner and listener and a follower, he is to be someone who is, who is striving to be just like the one teaching him. So what is the word of a disciple? He is, number one, submissive. Number two, he is shaped into Christ-likeness. The idea there is that when someone talks to you, they, they're in the presence of, of a spiritual they're in the, they're in the spiritual, uh, spiritual influence whenever they have a conversation with you. Does that mean that you can't have a casual conversation and laugh about something? Of course not. It means simply that there be a, a demeanor about you and a countenance about you, that there is, a, there is a response from you. There is an action and reaction from you. There's verbiage that comes from you that has got the markings of Christ all about it. I am shaped 
into Christ-likeness. Friends, that's the teaching of all of scriptures. I want to be more like him. We used to sing it as little kids, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. All I ask, to be like him. All through life's journey from earth to glory, all I ask is to be like him. We live in a generation of time in which people are making a disgrace of grace, and they want to be more like the Canaanites, as we heard earlier tonight. We think we can reach them. We'll be just like them. Now, there's no call of the scriptures that we be odd or weird or strange. But we are to be as Christ. That's the teaching of the word of God. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18 says what? It says, but we beholding as in a glass. That means a mirror. We beholding without a veil, without a covering, in a glass. The glory of God. We are changed into the same image from glory to glory. That word changed is, is the old Greek word that we get our English word metamorphosized, revolutionized in our image, our visage. There is a transformation that happens in my life when I'm truly a disciple. I want to be like him. Come on. Every year in January, we come out of the holidays, see all kinds of advertisements everywhere for exercise and weight loss, you know? Because we just came out of the holidays and we ate far too much. And you'll see some muscle-bound guy. I mean, you know, he's, he's just got muscle upon muscle. He's just, he's just extremely strong. He would look a lot like... Okay, uh, he was just an extremely... <laughs> Sorry, forgive me. And uh, <laughs> he's on some exercise machine... And the announcer says, and you too can lose 15 pounds in three weeks or whatever by, by spending 20 minutes a day, three times a week on this exercise machine. And you're, you're going, oh man, I got to have that machine. And you'll, 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 you'll spend a fortune trying to buy some machine that just three times a week, man, this is great. I want to look like that guy on TV. No, it never happens. What happens is after a couple of efforts on it, it becomes something to hang your coat on and uh, a lady puts her purse on it. It just sits in the, in the basement of your house, never gets used. Here's the deal. We get talked into wanting to be like something we saw on television that's been airbrushed to look a certain way. The point is, Jesus says, your goal in life is to pursue me. When you're all in, your desire is to be like Christ. You've heard it. You know it's true. Robert Murray McShane's powerful statement. When he wrote, a young man preparing for ministry, he says, let me remind you, it is not great talents that God blesses as much as great likeness to Jesus Christ. Be a person who says, I want to be as Christ. Everybody knows Romans 8, 28. It's a great verse. I've, I've anchored my life on that verse many a time. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. Man, I've clung to that verse. And we know, God, this doesn't make sense. But we know all things work together for good. To them that love God. To them who are the called according to his purpose. But you can't stop reading in verse 28. Verse 29 says, For whom the Lord foreknew, he also did predetermine their destination. Predestined that they be conformed to the image of Christ. Hey, ma'am, 
Thank you for all the delicious meals you prepare for your family and the clean house that you keep and the clothes that are well-pressed and all the work that's never-ending for you as a housewife and a godly mother. But the greatest thing you can give your kids is a mother who wants to be Christ-like. Thank you, sir, for the bills being paid. Thank you for working so hard, sometimes doing without yourself so that your family can have their needs met. Thank you. Thank you for that. But the greatest thing you can do for your children and grandchildren is to provide them an example of someone who's pursuing Christ-likeness. Is there something, is somebody, when somebody talks to you, do they, do they sense that I'm hearing Bible thought? I'm hearing Christ's reasoning. Is there a spirit about you that comes across as one who is striving to think like Jesus would think? Or is there some little private world of some secret hidden sin that's stashed away that nobody else knows about? Nobody else is aware of, but you've got a little, little closet in your life that's hindering your spiritual progress. And it's as if, honestly, it's as if you're trying to go down the road with the emergency brake on. There's just a, a drag on your spiritual vehicle and you can't get going. Why? Because of maybe some unconfessed sin in your life that's hindering your spiritual progression into Christ-likeness. It's like, a, it's like you're sitting around with the house at how, in your house at night and just living life with your family and all of a sudden you see headlights coming in the driveway. You go over and look out the window and you see, Pastor, what's Pastor coming over? He didn't tell us he was coming over. And dear ladies go into homemaker mode immediately, you know. They start grabbing shoes and socks and children and animals and, and, uh, and they start cleaning things up on the, on the uh, uh, magazine. Uh, they straighten up a coffee table. That's what the word is. And they're putting books in order and, and they go, they got their arms full of stuff that you just live with all the time. They go over to that closet. We all have a closet somewhere near the living room. <laughs> Throw it in there, you know, and close it before it all comes falling back out, you know. She, you, you go over and you, you, you wipe the perspiration off your face. You check your hair, you know, and the husband's going, what, 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 what gives? What's going on? And you say, yeah, put a shirt on. You know, and, uh, uh, and, and so, you know, you're just living life. You're just living life at home with your family. And all of a sudden, <laughs> I wonder who that could be. And you go over and you open the door and there's the pastor and his wife. And, and you go, well, pastor. What in the world? Come on in. Good to see you. Well, how are you? And they walk in and they say, well, we just happened to, we had to make a hospital visit and we, we just knew you lived here. Thought we, we hadn't seen you, hadn't talked to you in a while. Just wanted to come by and say hello. How are you folks? Oh, he looks around. And he goes, what a lovely living room. What a beautiful house. And you say something like, oh, <laughs> you just got to take us as we are. You know, this is, this is the way we live. No, you don't. You don't live that way. And suppose he says, hey, what you got over here in the closet? No, pastor, no. Don't get near it. You don't know where it's been. And he goes over, opens the door, and a couple of children fall out. And a... <laughs> I wonder if you come and live around other people and you've got a little hidden closet with some unconfessed things there that need to be pulled out and said, dear God, I don't want this in my life. It's hindering my Christ-like development. 
God, I need victory. And Lord, I want strength to say no, and I don't want to live in, in this spiritual uh, defeat. And dear God, I want to confess and get victory. I wonder tonight, are you a disciple? Are you all in? Number one, they're submissive. Number two, they're shaped. Look at verse 25 with me quickly. He says, it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? What? If they call the master of the house Beelzebub, now let's stop right there. What in the world was Beelzebub? Well, many of you would know there's also a term that was used to describe Satan. It's another name for the devil. But the term there means a filthy, wicked Philistine deity, a god of the Philistine culture of that day. It was something that was heinous, filthy. It meant, it meant Lord of dung, Lord of flies, and all the filth that went with it. And he said, Jesus is saying, think about the most, most heinous name you could call anybody, or anybody could call anybody else today, the most filthy of names. And you kind of get an idea of what Jesus is talking about here. He says, if they're going to call me the master of the house by this wicked name, don't think you're going to get off without having some problems yourself. Because when you're all in, as we heard this morning, there's going to be some persecution. There's going to be people who are not going to understand you. I mean, if you're really connecting with me, number one, you're going to be submissive. You're going to lean into me and listen and obey what I say. Number two, you want to be shaped into my image and be more like me. And number three, you're going to know suffering when you're all in. Charles Spurgeon used to say there would be more persecution if there were more real Christians. The fact is, friends, let me tell you something. When someone's all in, there are going to be times in which, and I don't, I don't have time to develop this like I want to, there are going to be people who may mock you. There may be people who will laugh at, at, at a position you take about one thing or another. There will be people who possibly will walk away and abandon you. There will be people who will gossip and say things about you that are not true. And you're going to want to defend yourself. Wait, wait a minute, that's not... May I say to you, there are going to be people who will, who will misunderstand your motives. The apostle Paul said about his own life, and he was teaching the people in Philippi, he said, we get to be partakers of Christ's sufferings. Jesus knew what it meant. Jesus knew what it meant to be persecuted. Well, of course he did. Jesus knew what it was to be lonely. Jesus knew what it was to be left alone. Jesus knew what it was to have his motives questioned. Do you remember even his dearest friends, Martha and Mary, said to him in John 11, you know, if you if you'd gotten here a little sooner, our brother would not have died. They were questioning the motives of Jesus. And they loved him, and he loved them. And sometimes your dearest, closest associations of a lifetime are going to say, I don't get you anymore. When you're all in, you're... You're going to know some suffering. I've had, I've had young people say to me, Brother Morris, I want to live for God. I've tried to live for the Lord, but you don't understand. I go to a public school. I go to a Christian school. And if I take a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ like I want to, 
I won't have any friends. I had one boy say to me, you have no clue how hard it is to live for God in a public school. I said, you know something? I, you're probably right. You're probably right. All I can tell you is what the Bible tells me. You will not be alone. And you start winning some friends to the Lord Jesus, you won't be alone. <laughs> be a testimony and a shining light in that dark culture. What a great mission field you have. But the truth is, whether you're in that public arena, that public sector, or in a sector around God's people, you're going to know, you're going to know suffering. And none of us enjoys pain. None of us enjoys the, the struggles of things that can't be understood. And that's when you go run into, I know of two books that we go run to, Job and the Psalms. Many there be that gather around me, David said in Psalm 3. But I sat down, I, I laid me down and slept, and I awake, for the Lord sustained me. You remember over in Hebrews 11, that great chapter, you don't have to go there. In Hebrews 11, it spoke of, of those people who are great people of great faith. Listen to this. Uh, the writer said, And what shall, more, what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also, who through faith, listen to this, subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were... You know, if it had been stopped right after that last phrase, it'd be like, sign me up. Sign me up. Stop the mouths of lions. Quench the fire. Wax violent in fight. That's wonderful. And then all of a sudden the author says, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. I'll stop right there. You know, the truth is, some people, they may, they may be over there stopping the mouths of lions while others are being devoured by lions. You just study church history, you'll see that. And I know not what may be in store for you or even for me, but may I say to you, I want to be all in. And it may bring further suffering, but you can bank on it. If you thought that you were going to get off easy by being a true disciple of Christ, you just signed up for the wrong team. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be persecution. You say, I want to be all in. Submissive. Shaped. Suffering. One more. Would you look at verse 27? With this, I'll close. He says in verse 27, Jesus said, What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. Let me stop right there. What? What I, what I tell you in darkness. What's he talking about? Oh, come on. These people, these disciples spent time with Jesus and sometimes they'd go up on a mountain peak and mountainside and they spent the night. The, the Garden of Gethsemane was probably a familiar place where often they would spend the night and sleep and he would, he would take those times to teach them and instruct them. So he's simply saying, you know, those times when I've taught you when nobody else has been around, it's just been me and you. What I've told you in those quiet, private times in darkness, 
go tell others in the daily light. Then he goes on to say, and what you hear in the ear, do what? What's he mean by that? What you hear in the ear, it's the idea of that which was a whisper. What we, I've said to you in such a small setting, I could have whispered and you heard me. What I taught you in, you could say, in a Sunday school class, in a private time alone with the Lord, in a church service when it just felt like everybody else left and the Lord sat down beside you and said, this is for you. What I've spoken to you in silent tones, right quietly in your ear, that preach upon the housetops. Does he mean really go climb up on people's houses? Yes. No, that's not what he means. What's he talking about? He's talking about boldness. He's talking about courage. He's talking about standing up and speaking up and speaking out what he has talked to you about. What does it mean to be a disciple finally? It means to be someone who speaks up for him. Jesus was saying, you're going to suffer. Don't be afraid of what people will do to you. He's saying, what I've told you in quiet private settings, what I've taught you in quiet classroom settings, what I've told you in sweet little devotional times when it's just been me and you and you've listened to me, you take what I've given to you and go boldly, courageously proclaim it to the world around you that don't know what I've told you. Speak up. Speak out. Sing with boldness. Speak with boldness. Testify with courage. Witness with confidence, because I'm with you. Don't be afraid. The disciples are to be on the front line. Disciples are not secret service agents, kind of hiding in the midst of the crowd, hoping nobody notices me. I'm all in. I'm right up front. I speak openly. I speak freely. I speak confidently. I speak courageously. Paul wrote his dear friend Timothy, and I love this, the books to Timothy. Timothy's personality is probably more in keeping with most of us in this room than we care to, uh, to think on, but it's really true. Timothy had probably a spirit of, of a timidity and nervousness, and he, he wasn't sure of himself, and Paul just kept saying to him, Timothy, be not thou therefore ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, or of even me, Paul said, his prisoner. Don't be ashamed to recognize who you stand with. You not, you not to have a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So what does it mean? It means if you're really all in, you're going to speak up. It means if you're really a disciple, people are going to know. You're going to proclaim your position as a follower of Jesus Christ. You're not going to be rude. You're not going to be, you're not going to be cantankerous. You're not going to be so odd that nobody wants anything to do with you because of your oddness. But the truth is they'll want to know more about you because of the realness of your life. You're someone who says, Jesus is my king. Far too many Christians want Jesus as a consultant, not as their king. But a disciple says, I'm all in. Therefore, I will speak up and speak out unashamed. As a teenage boy, I sat in the bleachers watching a baseball game. Some of my buddies were playing. My team wasn't playing at the time. I was just sitting there watching some others of my friends as they were playing. 
And I was sitting around a bunch of other of my buddies. I was probably 15, maybe 16. I really don't remember. Somewhere around, probably 16. I'm sitting there in the bleachers with a bunch of my friends, a bunch of these guys, and there were a couple of girls nearby as well. Conversation was just kind of worthless conversation. Then all of a sudden it took a turn. I don't remember all that was being discussed, but I just remember being uncomfortable with the conversation. I would have been uncomfortable had there not been any girls around, but the fact that there were girls there made it even extra uncomfortable. And I was sitting there and I just recognized I'm not comfortable in this setting. These are my friends. I go to school with them. I play ball with them. They're, I, but I'm just uncomfortable. I didn't know what was going on, but God was doing a deeper work in my life at that stage of my life. And God was doing a work. He was speaking to me regularly at church and under my youth pastor's teaching and my time with the Lord. And I sat there and I thought, I'm, I don't like the direction of this. Something would be said that was probably uh, inappropriate. And there was a couple of snickers by some folks and so forth. And finally I thought, I, I can't stay here. I finally said, hey, I'll see everybody. I'm going to head to the house. Now, I actually wanted to stay for the game, but I thought, I, I got to get away from here. I said, hey, I'll see you guys later. I'm going to, I'm going to head home. I kicked my legs over the, I was on the top level of the bleachers. I kicked my legs over and just jumped down to the ground and I started walking home. It was about two, maybe two and a half miles to my house. And the whole time I'm walking home, I was just talking to God. I didn't normally even do things like that, but I found myself needing to talk to God. Here's what I was saying. I will never forget what I was saying to the Lord. As I was walking home, I said, Lord, there's got to be a better way to live than that. What was going on back there at that ball field? I don't, I'm uncomfortable with it. And Lord, I'm not where I need to be, but I know this, I don't want to be there anymore. I'm uncomfortable. There's got to be a better way to live. Lord, tell me what to do. By the time I got home with a heart that was made tender because of that two-mile walk and talk with God, I just grabbed my Bible, started reading the Scriptures. and I, Actually, I went to the Psalms. And there were times I would say, now, Lord, I couldn't have said it any better. That's exactly what I'm thinking right there, what David did, what the psalmist said right there. That's exactly what I'm thinking. And feel. Lord, I want to confess my sin too. Lord, right there, right there. That's what I'm sensing. God, I want to make it right. You know something? I didn't know it in the terms that I'm going to say right now. Let me tell you what I was doing on that afternoon or that early evening hours. You know what I was doing? I was enlisting to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I was telling him that night, I'm tired of half-hearted Christianity. I want to be all in with you. You say, well, aren't you something? No, I'm not. Yeah, well, you think that, that solved it? No, my friend, guess what I've had to do? I've had to re-enlist several times. I've had to re-up frequently. God, I want to be a disciple. And I've lost my focus. I want to be all in with you. Is the Holy Spirit talking to you about something tonight? In just a moment, we'll bow our heads for prayer, and I'm going to pray with you. I pray that in some arena or another, maybe the Lord laid something on your heart tonight, be you a college student, church member, or a guest. You find yourself here tonight saying, you know something, I need to tell the Lord, I'm all in. I need to re-up. I want to be his follower and be unashamed. Father, would you finish this service?
with your divine anointing and blessing. Lord, I don't want to get in your way of what you want to accomplish in this service. Help us to spend the response to you as we should. Spirit of God, move in our midst, we pray, even in this, our first service together in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed. How many tonight would say, Brother Morris, I don't know about anybody else. I can't speak for anybody sitting on my row. I can't speak for anybody in my family. I can't speak for anybody that I go to school with. I can't speak for anybody that is near me in my section. But you know something, preacher, if I'm the only one who needed this reminder tonight, then so be it. I needed this reminder. I needed this challenge. God spoke to me in a specific way. And I heard from the Lord and I want him to know that I'm, I want to be all in. I want to be his disciple. I needed this message tonight. If that's so, would you lift your hand right now all over the room? I just, I just heard from God tonight. Thank you. Would you put your hands down? With heads bowed, would you stand with me? I'm going to, I'm going to pray. I don't need to tell Falls Baptist Church about a, a, an invitation or an altar call or response to the Lord time. You know all about it. I'm going to pray briefly. Our, after I pray, those on instruments will begin to play. My friend, the altar's wide open. You need to take some time with the Lord. Don't do it because you feel like someone's looking at you other than the Lord himself. You say, dear God, I heard from you tonight. And you spoke to me specifically about this or that or hither or yon. God, I needed this reminder. And I want you to know I want to be all in. Dear friend, if you tonight struggle with getting down on your knees and getting back up, you may just need to have a seat on the front row or somewhere else and take that time with your Lord. No one's counting heads. Don't wait to see what somebody else is going to do. You be honest with your God tonight and take care of business. I'll pray. Then the instruments will begin. You come and you do what God's told you to do. Father, help us to be all in. Jesus, you told us what it meant to be shaped into your image, to be your follower. We're more interested in getting Bible truth and education in a college or instruction from a classroom setting at Sunday school. Lord, we need to be like you so that the world around us will see that we're all in. And Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us in this passage tonight a clear understanding and definition of what it means to be your disciple and to be unashamed. And may we genuinely live that way. Finish this service with your divine presence in Jesus' name.